Welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, the one and only fitness and nutrition podcast that goes way beyond just training and nutrition and helps you create a life by design. I'm your host, Cody McBroom, and with me is my co-host, Travis McQueen. Today we got another Q&A. And last episode, I believe now, was Brad? Schoenfeld? This is next Friday? Probably, yeah. Yeah, yep. I'm pretty sure. Yep. Um, if not, it's next Friday, Wednesday. But check out that episode. Really good. Um, very excited about that one that we recorded today as we're recording this. Um, it is, yep. So it was. It, it's always cool to have people like him on the podcast and get so much affirmation of what you do. Like, not to, like, boast about myself, but, like, there's there was multiple things that he referred to that I was like, oh, yes, I'm doing that right <laughs> with my people, you know, um, just because he's been in the game so long. He's done so much research. Yeah. That's dope. Um, I'm having fun with a lot of these interviews. They're just, like, like ones that we can really geek out on, you know. Um, I'm also having a lot of fun doing the research with the YouTube channel. Chris, stuff. Lane, Brad, Martin. Martin. Yeah. So, so a lot of really cool people. We've got some coming up that are really cool, too. Um, hey, Rob. You know, and you know what? Like, uh, wait, who? The B Rob. Oh, um, yeah. literally though, <laughs> scientists. Listeners are like, who? Um, yeah, that's what we call them. Uh, and uh, the I, I was on a call with somebody today, and they were uh, they decided to work with us because one of the main reasons they told me was because they 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 pay attention to a lot in the industry, basically, and they said that you know watching everybody and seeing how companies run and do things and all this. Um, you're one of the only companies that has stayed true to just being trying to be the best and like pouring everything into education and to your clients and to training and nutrition. I see so many, they actually specifically said, well, yeah, but they also like specifically said that they've uh, had multiple coaches who ended up like shifting and becoming business coaches and disregarding them as a nutrition client. So that was interesting because mm. you usually hear like, Nutrition coaches kind of being like, oh, that shit's annoying. Yeah. Not like the actual client feeling like they were being forgotten about because these people wanted to do other things. Um, it was just cool. It was like, damn, that's like a really cool testament to like what I believe of like, you know, staying true to what we do and just being the best at this, you know, and being like, this is the one thing we do. Um, and the reason I'm saying that is just because I've been having fun with researching for the YouTube channel, um, going into these interviews with smartest people possible in the industry, you know, and just like, Again, just science, 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 building out the app. Um, yeah, and like, I never get bored of this shit. I never get Good. tired of training and nutrition. <laughs> I thought about the other day. I was like, holy shit, dude, 12 years of just literally, because I'm going to be 30 next month, 12 years of just obsessing over building muscle and losing fat Touché. and getting stronger and healthier and pretty weird. Yeah. It's wild to think like that you can stay passionate and obsessed with something for that so long. So true passion then. Yeah, I mean, if you don't get if you don't get sick of it. Yeah. yeah, I think it's I think it's it sounds weird when I say it because I think of like other things and I'm like, how could you keep doing that for so long? How yeah. could you be obsessed with that for so long? How could, you know what I mean? How could you be into that for a decade? But unless you find that thing, it's like yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say I know a lot of people that might say that about other things too. Yeah, but this is crazy. But I'm proud to say it. Obviously, cool. It's, it's because cool. you're obsessed with it. Yep, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's awesome. It's obviously helping. All right. Guys, let's get into this uh, Q&A today. We have our first question coming from Megan Stacy. says, hello, Cody and Travis. I am a FIFO worker on a week-on, week-off roster. Wait, hold on. FIFO? Yeah. What the fuck's that? Like fly in, fly out. Oh. I'm assuming that's a fly in, fly out worker. Okay. Week-on, week-off. Okay. Does that mean like she's like 
on airplane? Like working for the air? I would assume. Airline? Or you're just saying like her job causes her to fly in and fly out? I'm unfamiliar with these terms. It's like, I I believe it's like okay. I my job is actually in, in Arizona, so I fly in and work for a week, and uh-huh. then I fly out. Got it. And I'm home for three days, and then I fly back to work and work for the week. That'd be wild. Yeah, I would just move there. All right. Anyway, <laughs> says I'm powerlifting comp. Uh, I'm a powerlifting competitor and remain pretty lean all year round. When I when I'm at work, I have a very strict diet and have no problem with staying on track. However, when I'm home, I tend to indulge a little with a few drinks and date night. My weight tends to go up a few kilograms when I'm at home, and it comes off while I'm at work. Can you see any problem with this long term? Also, can you tell me the reason my sleep goes to shit when I'm in a deficit? Thank you so much for your podcast. Saves me while I'm at work and doing boring and mindless jobs. Um, you're welcome. <laughs> uh, it, it, speaking of which, it's funny. Like I remember when before I was a trainer and like able to actually do this for a living when I worked at the community center and stuff, mm-hmm. I would literally just be behind the desk looking at blogs and shit because podcasts weren't really a thing then. Yeah. So I get it. Um, I'm happy that I can be that <laughs> for you now. Uh, okay, so uh, do I see any issue with that long-term? No. Um, there's no research that I'm aware of that would make us believe that weight fluctuations going up and down in your weight is necessarily unhealthy long-term. Like, there's really no reason to think that. Um you know, if your weight fluctuates like that, you know, she said a few kilograms. So let's say that she's saying two to three kilograms, that's going to be four to six pounds, four to seven pounds. Um, it's a good amount of weight. But like, if you think about it, if you go home and you actually literally just had a conversation with a client about this because they went, uh, we went through a full diet. We started the reverse diet uh, a little early because they were starting to get diet fatigue sooner than we thought. And they were also going on a trip for a week. We knew that they were going to indulge and have fun with the family and we didn't want to stop that. But we wanted to try to reverse diet and bring calories up a little bit so diet fatigue wasn't so crazy when they went. Because obviously, if diet fatigue is too high and then you go on vacation, the likelihood of binging is exponential compared to like if you start reversing before. Um, And I was explaining to them because they were kind of frustrated with some weight gain afterwards. And it was a good amount. But nothing that I was like shocked with because I explained like – and usually I don't go in this in depth with people. But I felt it was necessary. If we actually calculate the amount of water weight you can gain – over the course of let's say a week. So in her case, three days. But let's say let's say you have a date night and you consume an extra 200 grams of carbs, which isn't unrealistic. Real, uh, even if it was like 100 grams of carbs and 20 grams of fat. Realistic. Very realistic. You know, you go have a burger and fries, boom, that's 200 grams of carbs easily and a bunch of extra fat. But one gram of carb holds about th- anywhere between three to five grams of water. So let's say it's four grams of water. Four... Uh, one, every one gram of water weighs like 0.2 pounds or something like that. Um, or I'm sorry, every four grams of water, because I did the math, literally calculated it, equals about 0.2. But like, point is, we started. I started adding it up. It was like 0.02 or something like that. And it was basically like for every one, uh, 200 grams, you can gain about a pound or two of water weight. So if you have three days in a row of eating an extra 200 grams of carbs, and that's an extra 600, no, not even 600, it would be more than that, 200 times four, 800 grams of water per day, right, times mm-hmm. three is what, 1,800 or yeah. no, 2,400 or whatever it is, um, that's actually a good amount of weight. So now you're gaining an extra six pounds of water weight in a few days, which would be two to three kilograms. So totally. it's like, it's really not unrealistic. 
um, especially if you're doing it multiple days in a row. If you factor in fat and food bulk and just even if you even if you hit your macros, but you do so by consuming things that are heavier in your gut and or have more sodium because it's eating out at a restaurant, which is extremely common, you're going to retain water. Um, so if you add that factor in, if we consider the fact that you're probably drinking alcohol, that's going to cause water retention. That's going to lead to more water weight. Um, it's not unrealistic at all. And uh, I might have butchered the math because I'm trying to remember what I calculated yesterday when I was having this conversation with the client. But the point is, is water weight from added carbs is very easily common. You know, um, I wouldn't worry about it as long as you're staying healthy. And if it, if your weight drops right back down as you go back to work and training a lot of stuff, it tells me that you're not actually getting any body fat. It's literally just a ton of water retention. So is it healthy? I mean, for me to say, hey, it's healthy to eat like fried French fries and pizza and drink wine three nights in a row would be inaccurate. Do I think it's healthy for your mind and spirit every once in a while? Absolutely. Um, do I think weight fluctuations are unhealthy? No, there's no research to support that they're unhealthy because yeah. you could have a high carb day from sweet potatoes and rice and see weight fluctuations. You totally. know what I mean? Um, I don't know. I, I, I purposely don't weigh in the day after date night because of that, you know, because I know and I drink a ton of water the next day because I drink a lot of alcohol on date mm-hmm. night. Um, I drank, a f- I, I bought a bottle of wine that Shannon didn't like. Uh, she likes lighter wines, like dark wines, like bolder ones. So I'm not a huge Pinot guy. Yeah. She loves Pinot. You say bolder? Yeah. Like I like cab or. Um, Never heard the word bolder before. Well, have you ever had a Pinot Noir? Mm-hmm. It's very light. Yeah. So what would you call something that's not light? Darker. They're both dark red wines. So oh. I just, yeah, that's just what I called it. I, um, I see. I get the context. Yeah. I just never. That. There's actually a wine called Bold, too. And oh. I think that's where I saw that. And I started just kind of associating that was the way I explained it. But point being is she didn't like that wine. Yep. So I drank the whole entire fucking bottle by myself, which is not too hard for me to do. Yeah. It's like four or five glasses, whatever. But man, like the next day, my eyes were puffy. Like my ring doesn't fit very well. Yep. So like I easily probably gained five pounds or so. And I just. Five pounds from a bottle of wine? Probably. Dude, I, my fingers swell, Holy dude. Shit. I don't know if it's because I don't drink very often or what, but like when I drink wine specifically, yeah, I like, I'm like a Michelin man. Totally. I just fucking retain water. Inflammation, yeah. Yeah. And then I eat food too. So it's like obviously there's some from that, but um, I just don't weigh myself the next day. I drink yeah. a ton of water. I eat really clean and I usually flush it out by a day and then I'm back to weighing in. And I'm fine. Yeah. So um, I would avoid weighing in because seeing the fluctuations, it's kind of just useless not accurate data you for your goals if it messes with your head it's even worse it's not serving you anything and if it stops you from having a good time every once in a while even more so you shouldn't weigh yourself so i don't see anything wrong with it i wouldn't worry about it um there's nothing to point to weight fluctuations being unhealthy uh, there's plenty of research to point to like uh, absurd cheat meals and tons of alcohol being unhealthy but we all do it every once in a while and i think that's fine yeah. um and what was the other part of the question uh why does my sleep go to oh. shit when i'm in a deficit um, stress levels. I mean, when you're dieting and you're in a deficit, your, your body fat levels are dropping and you are experiencing metabolic adaptation. Part of metabolic adaptation is disturbed sleep. So you are going to have most likely uh, a raise in cortisol, um, almost guaranteed if you're in deficit, that's going to cause higher stress. That's going to be harder to fall asleep. I would also say that there could potentially be an increase of sympathetic nervous system tones. Um, This is why people feel, in my opinion, there's no research on this because nobody studies this, but um, people say like when they fast in the morning, they feel very alert. Pretty sure it's because your cortisol stays elevated instead of it dropping because cortisol wakes us up. That's what makes us alert in the morning. Usually we have a meal and it kind of lowers, which is healthy for us to do. But if we keep cortisol levels raised because we skip breakfast, 
we are going to be alert consistently because when we have cortisol levels up, our sympathetic nervous system is activated. We are in fight or flight, which means we probably have more energy, could be considered nervous energy depending on how you handle it. Um, we're also going to have uh, less peripheral vision, which is like tunnel vision. You know, when you get on stage and it's like for speaking, like zones in, it's partly because of a cortisol response. Um, my guess would be that influences sleep as well. If you're in a deficit, cortisol is getting higher, your sympathetic nervous system is increasing because like survival-wise, ancestrally speaking, like biological body, uh, our, our body is designed to essentially increase cortisol when stress or famine is near, famine being starvation. Then our sympathetic nervous system kicks on so that we can have energy to go fight or forage for food, totally. not die, you know what I mean? So survival. it's just a, a survival mechanism. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's why I'm a big proponent of like ashwagandha and sleep supplements. Like, like night tea? I love night tea from First Form because it's got um, it's got multiple things that like it's a testosterone booster, quote unquote. Um, I will say there's certain things in there that aren't really going to influence your testosterone unless you're deficient in them, which can happen. Um, for example, zinc has been shown to increase people's testosterone, but only if you're deficient in zinc. If you have plenty of zinc through your diet, it's not going to do shit for your testosterone. Uh, but there is zinc in there, which has been linked to uh, helping sleep as well. Magnesium, same exact thing, helps sleep. The thing I love in there, obviously melatonin helps you fall asleep, but GABA is something that a lot of people don't use before bed, and it uh, helps your neurotransmitters in your brain. Um, and I also add their uh, adrenal support supplement, which does have ashwagandha and some other things to help lower cortisol, lower anxiety, stress, and calm you down. That combo, sleep like a rock. Yeah. But yeah, it's like big proponent of sleep supplements like melatonin, GABA, both of which are in that night tea. Um, and it's not tea, like T-E-A, like you drink it. It's like the letter T. Yep. Um, and then their adrenal support because like ashwagandha. And you can take ashwagandha in pretty high doses and it's safe. Like there's a lot of research on there. So, totally. Yeah. But Firstform.com. Firstform.com slash Taylor Coach Method. Cool. All right. Let's move on to the second question. It comes from Maheska. It says, what are your thoughts on dairy and lactose being inflammatory. So there's a lot of confusing research on this topic. And there is no true causation of dairy causing inflammation. There is research on lactose causing inflammatory markers or digestive stress and issues with people who are lactose intolerant, but there's zero data to support that lactose is, is bad or dairy is bad. In fact, there is a lot, I shared this on my story. There's a lot of good research to support, um, uh, better body composition. So there's actually support that, uh, regular consumption of dairy products leads to lower body fat levels, leads to more muscle growth, leads to better muscle maintenance as you age. There's even some uh, blood markers of inflammatory markers being decreased and improved from having a regular consumption of dairy. Uh, on top of that, obviously all the stuff on like bone health or because calcium and all that kind of shit. Um, but it's, it's really just comes down to like a, it's honestly like, I, I hate to say this cause I don't like put, putting things in camps, but it's like a paleo dogma. Yeah. Honestly, um, there's people who are lactose intolerant. They have issues with that. There's also people um, that have intolerances to legumes. They can't have any beans or peanuts because peanuts are technically a legume. Oh my bean. God. There's people who have uh, like, like peanut allergies, you know? Oh yeah. We don't say that all nuts are bad because some people have peanut allergies. So 
why is it that everybody says dairy is bad for you? You know, yeah. in the fitness space, it's just not true. Um, in fact, dairy has some of the best protein that we can get from a muscle protein synthesis and amino acid perspective. Um, on top of that, tons of vitamins and minerals. Um, so, uh, yeah, no, there's, there's really no, there's a lot of correlation data. So there are some studies that this is where like people try to put out studies and there are some, there's some great ones that people debunk and Lane Norton has a really good video on YouTube that he just crushes this myth. Um, cause that's what he does. He just basically debunks things, but, um, there are correlation studies and he teases them apart, which he's a good person to, to listen to for that, where people will say, well, this study on dairy showed inflammation because of this. And it's like, actually, no, it showed a correlation to that because of this. So this is the thing that caused the inflammation. It just happened to be that dairy was involved in that situation. Mm -hmm. So if you remove this factor, dairy did nothing. Um, and that's usually the case. And there's a lot of research to support it. In fact, when I shared it on my story, I'm going to pull this up because I took a screenshot of it. Uh, a dietitian DM'd me and word for word what she said. And this is shout out to Danielle Murr, DC Murr on Instagram. Um, fun fact, I'm working on my master's degree in dietetics and studies are actually showing that increased whole grain consumption helps with dairy slash lactose digestion. So the fad to cut carbs may be the culprit for the rise in lactose intolerance. So one, she agreed with everything I said and awesome, I can actually screenshot this. So what I said to this question on Instagram was there's no evidence on dairy or lactose being inflammatory and negatively impactful to anyone who doesn't have lactose intolerance or current digestive issues, especially lower fat dairy, because some people have issues with high fat dairy. Um, if they have gallbladder issues, it's just fat in general, not dairy fat. Um, those who say there are there is are misinterpreting the data. In fact, dairy is one of the most nutrient-dense nutrient protein sources you can get. And then I said research shows... Research shows, number one, lower levels of an inflammation in individuals who regularly consume dairy. So literally the opposite of what people say. They say dairy is inflammatory. And most research actually does show uh, that lower levels of inflammation are present in individuals who consume dairy on a regular basis. Improvements in body compositions with kids between ages 6 to 18 years old. Improvements in fat loss and reductions in muscle loss. Improvements in lean body mass, so muscle growth, and blood lipids. And better uh, vitamin and mineral uh, density. Uh, I'm sorry, better bone mineral density. I made a typo. I wrote vine mineral density. Um, and then she responded to that. So there's a lot that's actually the complete opposite. It's just that people like to, like, like the truth is, is that it's just like the news, you know, like negative news is sells. So like studies that, that, that is negative news. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So like even with research and studies and fitness and nutrition, if they can find something that allows them to create something that's like, you know, shocking and dogmatic and negative, it's going to get more attention. You know, nobody's going to like go crazy over a study that shows, hey guys, dairy is, yeah, exactly. There you go. Dairy's healthy. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, nobody gives a shit about that. Um, meat is a great protein source. There's nothing to argue Nobody about. cares. Meat causes cancer. Everybody freaks the fuck out. Yeah. You know, so, um, and the cool thing is that, you know, what going back to the paleo analogy, so, there, she's saying that there's studies actually showing, and again, I haven't seen the study, but she, I'm assuming she has credibility. She's getting her master's in dietetics. Um, increased whole grain consumption helps with dairy lactose digestion. So the same people who cut out dairy and say dairy is inflammatory, like diehard paleos, are also the same people who say you should not eat grains. So they don't eat any whole grains. And now there's research to show that potentially the, the missing nutrients that you are not getting now because you're cutting out whole grains is causing an issue with lactose consumption. 
So you might only be lactose intolerant because you stopped eating carbs and grains. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like the paleo people. So this is a great example because there's plenty of people who go through paleo. They learn about stuff. They realize that it's not the end all be all. They start trying to consume regular food again. They have dairy and they shit their brains out and throw up. And they're like, oh, see, dairy is bad. I am lactose intolerant. Like, well, you probably created that right? Because one, you cut out all these other things that could have potentially been happening, but also your body has to produce enzymes to actually digest and absorb and break down dairy. So if you stop producing the enzymes because you're no longer consuming dairy, because the truth is your body doesn't naturally make those enzymes without you consuming it in order for it to need to do it because we're consuming another mammal's dairy. Yeah. You know, we were born to consume our own mammal's dairy, which sounds gross, but that's breastfeeding. And then once we come of age and we realize it's gross to keep breastfeeding, you stop and now you drink cow milk. Yep. Um, but point being is, is like, this is why we can't just assume and cut out everything, you know, and whole grains are amazing for you. Super yeah. healthy for you. So just crazy. I hate dogmatic approaches like that. So there is Cody's thoughts mm-hmm. on dairy and lactose. I love dairy. I eat dairy every day. Yeah. Which you should. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to the next one. We got one uh, coming from. Real quick, real quick. This, uh, this will be super quick. You wish. It's just funny. I think about like what my grandma used to tell me for, for dairy or for nutrition, right? Like drink she, your milk, drink your milk, you know, yeah. milk helps your bones grow all that stuff. Then milk became bad. Breakfast is the most important. When milk. did milk become bad? Oh, you mean lactose. Oh, okay. okay, okay. <laughs> I was like, what? And now they have almond milk and coconut yeah, milk and soy yeah. milk. And it's like every other thing that looks like milk tastes like milk and trying to be milk, but don't drink milk. Yeah. Just like the impossible burger. Yeah. Like, there's that one thing where it's like, and I don't care about this kind of stuff, but it's funny. There's this, like, guy, and he's, like, pissed about it. And he's, like, he's like, just eat the salmon because it was, like, a fake salmon. He was, like, it tastes just like salmon. It looks like salmon. It even smells like salmon. He's, like, why are you pretending? If you don't want to eat salmon, don't eat salmon. Yeah. Like, I was dying. But they make all these milk substitutes, all this stuff. But I just remember my grandma saying, you know, drink your milk. Yeah. Then it was, like, breakfast is the most important meal of the day. And then it was, like, nope, you got to intermittent fast. Skip breakfast. It's the healthiest way to be. Now they're realizing like, oh, actually, intermittent fasting works even better if you flip it around and you actually eat breakfast and stop eating so late. You know what I mean? So like, uh, it's just funny if I look back and I'm like. The trends. Yeah, the trends. Yeah. And what was intuitively smart to my grandmother for health was actually pretty on point. Yeah. Like, there was a lot of things that were just like, yeah, that's actually, you hit the nail on the head. History. Yeah. Well yeah. done, grandma. Whole eggs. She was always a big proponent of whole eggs. And then it was like, nope, whole eggs are horrible for you. Can't have cholesterol. Can't have saturated fat. Egg whites it is. Yeah. Now we're like, oh, actually, egg, all eggs have a lot of nutrients in it. They're good for you. It's just funny. Funny, funny. It's very true, though. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we're going to move on to the next one. The next one comes from Megan Kinney. It says, how long? It doesn't say that at all. It says, how low <laughs> did your calories start and end with your cut? So how low did your calories start? And also, how low were they when you ended with your cut? I'm just going to pull my tracker. Um, I started at, said how long? About 2,800 calories. Uh, 2,900 calories. So just below 3,000. And that was like predicted. That was like a priming phase. So it was basically like, and we do this with clients, but sometimes it depends on the client. Like we'll, most clients will put into like maintenance. This was probably a little bit above my maintenance. And I've done this with a couple people as of late. I've done this with many people over the years, and I've done this with myself multiple times. Um, and obviously, I have a coach. He did this with me. Um, but I, it's when you have somebody who's doing a physique competition 
or a photo shoot, they're already kind of lean and you want to get them shredded or anything like that. Sometimes it's smart to put them in almost like a surplus, like either like just like a slight surplus or like I'm just going to make sure we're at fucking maintenance, you know? And it's mainly to fill up glycogen, make your training really good, get a good baseline, get any flexibility with the diet out of the like track, be accurate, get ready, feel good, train hard, fill up glycogen, fill up your muscles. And then we start a diet a week or two later. Like it's just kind of like a diet break essentially. Um, and then we dropped my calories to 2635, so 2635, and that was where my deficit started. It was just uh, 26 and a half ca- 100 calories, basically. Um, and then, and that was with also two hit sessions of cardio. So I had step count at like 11K. My step count didn't change the whole time. We set it at 11K and we kept it was the it whole time. Was it hit or was it less? Uh, hit for the cardio, uh, neat, so steps for 11K. Two times a week, hit six minutes of one minute, six rounds of one minute sprint, two minute walk. Um, we shifted that about halfway through to list because diet fatigue. Once yeah. you start dieting and you're getting tired, it's like okay, let's drop the hit cardio and put list cardio in because you just can't yep. keep doing it. Um, so we started at twenty six hundred and we ended at fifteen hundred. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Close. Damn. Uh, Low two thousand. Yeah, eighteen hundred. Okay. Yep. Um. So, and that's, and that was with 1800 with, uh, five list sessions. So it'd be 20 minutes on the bike five days a week and then 11,000 steps, which usually ended up making me walk a few times throughout the day, you know? Um, but that's, you know, that drops just over a thousand calories, 1100, 1200 calories. Um, a lot of people don't realize you had to fucking drop calories quite a bit. Yeah. But like I, I pulled them down to 26, uh, from from 26, like two to three weeks later, we went to 2275. So we dropped them another just under 300 calories. Um, oh, I'm sorry, not less than that. Uh, yeah, 300 calories. Um, maybe a little bit more. And then after that, we went to 2150. So dropped it another 125. Week, week to week? No, this is like two weeks and then two more weeks. And then from there, we kept them for quite a while. I mean, they stayed there for one, two, three, four, five weeks. And then we uh, dropped them to 1,800, like plummeted them for the last week and a half. Mm-hmm. We just dropped them and just grinded it out. Um, and I dropped a lot of weight that last week and a half. And then I reversed it up. So we're in the reverse. And we went from 1,800 to uh, 1,880 right to 2,300 to 2,500. And now we're at 2,700. Gotcha. So pretty fast increases on the reverse diet, to be honest with you. We were planning on going kind of conservative, but we increased my my calories just by carbs, and I dropped a pound. So we bumped them up again, and then I sustained my – I'm up weight, but I'm leaner. Like it was it, – it's kind of funny because we increased my carbs, and after two weeks, even he said he was like, damn, I wish we had a couple more weeks because then we could have like carbed into it. Like we could have like – finished it when we finished it and then reverse dieted you for a week or two into the shoot because mm. I literally got leaner as I started adding carbs which isn't uncommon even though I was a couple pounds heavier um we'll probably stay at the the calorie intake we're at right now because I'm eating plenty of food and I'm staying 2275 uh 2700 oh okay we bumped up quite a bit now wow yeah um but I'm lean I I'm still under 170 pounds so mm. um carbs are doing the job Dope. I'm just like my step count naturally went up and I'm not stopping it. Like I hit my 11,000 steps sooner, but I had a habit of going on a walk every night. So if I'm at 11,000 steps and I haven't done my walk at night and I know I'm going to exceed 11,000 steps and it's not a burden, I'm just going to go do it anyway. Yeah. Why not get more steps in? 
my training is definitely harder. Um, and I'm still doing a few cardio sessions. So three of those five. So we cut out a little bit, but still doing a little bit of cardio more for like performance reasons. Um, but yeah, that's kind of like the timeline. Dope. There you go. All right. We've got another one, uh, coming from Aiko, Aiko Mood. It says, do you barefoot shoes to train? If so, what is your favorite brand or style? I do. I have the Vivo. Um, Vivos, that's a brand. I don't know what they are, to be honest with you. They sent me a pair, and I loved them. Then I went and bought another pair. Um, they were potentially going to, like, they were talking about collaborating on some stuff, and we never ended up doing anything. Um, sometimes it's difficult to collaborate with companies if it's not, like, very easily like an authentic organic process you know and i just don't think we could think of a way to really do good content together um but i love their shoes i mean what i don't like is those five finger shoes uh, i don't know if they sell them i used to have them when the barefoot training first came out they had the shoes where you it actually put your toes in little yeah fucking hate those i don't like things between my toes like yeah. I, I like flip-flops like the thong style flip-flops can't do it yep i'm a sandals guy yep but the one strap. Yeah. Um, the slides, but I don't, uh, yeah, I don't like those ones just cause they feel weird. Um, the Vivos are nice cause they got a really wide toe base. And the big thing that a lot of people one can't do is they can't move their toes individually. I still struggle with this a little bit. Like if you put your feet flat on the floor right now and you're looking down your feet, try to just raise your big toe without raising any of the other toes. Yeah. Cause you're going to struggle. Yeah. Very hard to do. Um, a lot of people can't spread their toes. This sounds weird, but this is something I practice when I'm laying down. I'll like purposely spread my toes. Some people can't do that. And you're losing function of the muscles in your feet, which is going to cause potentially joint issues long-term. It's going to cause dysfunction in your movement patterns. That's why people got really into barefoot training. So I like those wide toe bases because I can spread my toes. I can move my feet properly. I can really grip the floor. Um, I can get a lot of flexion out of my toes when I'm doing movements. Um, and you'll notice at first, like, your toes, your feet work, and you actually get, like, cramps and, like, soreness in your arches of your feet and stuff and your Achilles, but it's good for you. Uh, I think that there's certain things I won't do in them just because, like, running and jumping and shit like that is just harder, and it's, if it hurts your feet, it, to me, I, I'm not going to sacrifice my performance to wait till my feet adapt and I have, like, rhinoceros skin on my toes, like, I'm just going to put my Nikes on yep. and I'm going to do the box jumps, yep. but for lifting, I love them. Like squats, deadlifts, those kind of things. I like them a lot. If I'm doing upper body. It's really like gripping the floor too, right? Yeah. yeah. And when I'm doing upper body, I'll wear those or chucks just because they're very minimalist. And I would rather walk around in minimalist shoes since I'm just walking around the gym because it's better for my feet. Um, definitely not going to wear them for style, like yeah. outside of the gym. <laughs> they, they don't look bad, but yeah. uh, they're, they're probably the best barefoot shoes from a appeal perspective too. Yeah. The all black or the all white ones yeah. I have, but um, yeah. Totally. So I like them. Cool. All right. Let's move on. We got one coming from Hagen Terry. It says, when you reverse diet, is it better to go slow or go straight to maintenance? Well, we just dropped a really good video on this that you should check out um, on YouTube.com slash Cody McBroom one. And I think it depends ultimately. So, uh, I, and I'll give you an example of, of me. We're going way faster than I was expecting. So I think it, it depends on your goal. It depends on who you are and it depends on how you approach it. So people who are hyper responders, quote unquote, when we see them 
they bring their calories up and they end up kind of losing weight or getting leaner. Um, like for example, I'm probably not getting leaner, but I'm filling out my muscles. So it almost looks like I'm getting leaner on some of these mornings, but I'm heavier because I'm holding on to more carbs in the muscle, which is a good thing. So I might not be losing weight, but I would say I'm, I'm almost looking like I'm recomping. So we are, we went a little bit more aggressively than I, we were planning because I'm a hyper responder, but it's, but I know why I'm a hyper responder. I can literally like, I, I feel myself talking faster to clients. I feel myself being more energetic throughout the day. I feel myself having more energy with my daughter. I feel myself being, um, moving more in the gym, training hard in the gym. I'm, I literally see my step count go up, you know? So, and I don't stop it. I think that if you notice those types of things, just milk it. Yeah. Like lean into it and you'll be able to get more out of your reverse and then you can go a little bit faster. Um, and I also think too, there's something to say about like quality control while you're doing it. So a lot of people reverse diet and they go, okay, I followed my diet. I went through it all. Now I'm reverse dieting. I'm going to have more flexibility. I'm going to fit in fun foods. And I'm not saying you shouldn't do that or you can't do that. However, the, one of the reasons I think that my body is responding so well and it's responding better than it ever has during reverse is because I'm literally eating the exact same meal plan. So like my breakfast was eggs with uh, fruit and toast when I started, right? And then it became one whole egg instead of two. And then it became one slice of toast instead of two. And then it became no toast, just fruit, you know, because I was cutting carbs, yep. cutting carbs. Now I'm back to eating two slices of toast, two whole eggs and fruit. So I literally just... I reversed calories, but instead of me making it fun, I just started adding things. My oats before I trained was down to 60. When I weighed it, it was at 55 grams in a, in a bowl, right? And then it went to 65. Now I'm eating 80 grams of uh, oats, right? I went from having 10 grams of almond butter to 20 grams of almond butter. I went from having so much pasta to a little bit more pasta. I went from having uh, one scoop of intro or zero at the end of it, no intra workout shake to one scoop to now two scoops. So I'm having more carbs during my workout. So like I'm not having like fun, exciting things in there. Date night's a lot easier for sure, but I'm literally just keeping the same bro foods. And although a calorie is a calorie, those foods agree with my body. They digest really easily. So I don't have any problems with them and they're very easy to track. So I know for sure I'm, I'm very, like, I'm as accurate as you could be during reverse. And a lot of times when we, people go through reverse and they start eating out more and they start entering new foods, that is just a recipe for inaccuracy, right? And it doesn't mean you can't do that. I'm all for flexible dieting. But I think if you want to get, if you really want to reverse properly and stay lean, I think you should extend how long you plan on, like, eating clean or eating meticulously from the diet. So maybe your diet's done from a calorie deficit perspective, but maybe the diet continues another four to six weeks of like the type of foods you're eating. Yeah. You just have one flexible day where you're having a lot of fun. Um, and the flexible things you do eat throughout the diet, they're more easy to track. Like I, I will not eat eggs, without ketchup. I won't do it. I don't care if I'm on the strictest diet in the world. Yep. But that's something I can, can I can track and I've been tracking. So I know it's accurate, you yeah. know? Um, but I think that helped a lot, honestly. And, and also too, like if I have 80 grams of oats instead of 60 grams of oats, it doesn't trigger me to want to like binge on something because it's just fucking oats. It's not a highly palatable food. Um, and I barely even notice. I just notice afterwards that I'm more full and now my biofeedback, my hormones, my training, everything feels better because I have more calories in my diet. And it's not because I added body fat. It's because I had more calories and that's the next point. And that's what we really dive into in the video is like, you should go much faster during a reverse diet if a you're a competitor because you get so lean that you're on unhealthy levels of body fat um 
hormonal adaptation, hormonal declines, uh, metabolic adaptation in general, they're tied mainly to body fat levels and uh, caloric deficit. So the calorie deficit is going to be a combination of training and actually what you take in. I wouldn't worry about the training side of things. The only time that really happens is like really high-level athletes or CrossFitters where they get reds, where you look at their calories and you're like, wow, you're a 150-pound female eating 3,000 calories. How do you have relative energy deficit syndrome? They're like, oh, well, I train three times a day. I'm a pro CrossFitter. It's like, that's why, because you should be eating 5,000 calories. So they are in a deficit. You just don't realize it because it seems like a lot of food. Um, So for most people listening to this podcast, it's going to be the calories. You know, but... Most, not all, but a lot of these hormonal changes and metabolic adaptations are because of the total weight loss. So when you lose weight, you're less mass, meaning you need less calories to function. Um, but a lot of it is also like the hormonal adaptations are going to be because of the, te- the, the deficit, the temporary calorie decrease. So the reason I say it like that is because if you were 200 pounds and you lost 50 pounds, obviously your maintenance is going to be lower because you're 50 pounds lighter. However, if your maintenance was 2,500 and now it's 2,000, when you get to 2,000, you will be satiated. You will be totally full. Your nutri- the nutrients you need will be there. Everything will be restored uh, because you only need 2,000 calories, right? Some people jump up too quickly and they gain fat and then they assume that the fat accumulation on their body, the regain of fat is what allows them to get healthy again because there's plenty of research to show the fat on our body also supports hormonal health. However, the only way the fat on your body is gonna cause a uh, decrease in hormonal health is if you're really, really lean. And that's why I say if you're a physique competitor, I do think you need to aggressively reverse diet, do a recovery diet, put on a little bit of body fat, and then go slow. There you go. But for most of us, just we don't need to. Just because you're overly lean. You're overly lean. Yeah. It's that it's that spectrum, right? Like yeah. on one side, you're so fucking lean that your hormones go to shit. And on the other side, you're so overweight that your hormones go to shit. Yeah. There's a sweet spot. They need to get back to that sweet spot. Yeah. Most people listen to this podcast, 95% of them at least, they're not going to get that lean. Yeah. They're going to get lean enough to be really happy. Like This is our clients. They get super lean, super happy, but they don't get so shredded that they're in an unhealthy place. It's very rare. And there are those, the occasional situations where, um, and even this, I actually wouldn't even say that. I was going to say that people diet too aggressively and they get to that point. But even then, it's, it's not because of the body fat because they dieted too aggressively, but they didn't diet aggressively for long enough to get that lean. It's just that the deficit was so aggressive that that diet fatigue hit them harder and f- sooner. So they don't need to gain weight. They need to reverse their calories. However, when you're in a deficit like that aggressive one and your hormones are out of whack, your, your psych- the psychological side of dieting is very fatiguing and you want food, it is very hard to bring your calories up slowly in a controlled manner. It's just difficult. Um, so you, you have to have the right amount of discipline and knowledge to be able to do it slowly. And not everybody should do it slowly. Um, but I think there's plenty of people that don't get so lean that they're in an unhealthy place. Like if you get to a place where you're pretty damn lean and uh, the, the negative biofeedback symptoms can be recovered by increasing your calories temporarily, that is your sign that you can go slow. So what I would do with clients like this is we take them through a, uh, a diet, they're at the tail end, and we give them a diet break or a refeed first. And it's like at their new quote unquote maintenance or a little bit above. And we bring them up to that level and we see what happens. It's like, hey, is your sex drive better? Yep. Sleep better. Yep. Performance in the gym better. Yep. Felt good this week. Stress, food focus is better. Like you feel satiated, all that. Yes, 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 yes. Cool. Okay. We're going to go back to the deficit because it's just a diet break, but I'm just checking. And then we know like, okay, we're going to reverse you slow because we know that it's not your body fat levels being so low that's causing these issues. It's the calories. Right, because we already figured that out. Yeah, because in a two to three day refeed, if we improved all those biofeedback signals, we didn't regain that fat and you felt better. It's calories. Totally. That's kind of what 
we noticed with me too. <clears throat> like at the second we started increasing calories, I felt better. Yeah. You know, um, and again, like I think if you really want to focus on doing it right, I think you should try to keep foods. Uh, try to keep highly palatable foods away for a while, like highly processed um, donuts, cookies, things that like, you know, Ben and Jerry's, Pop-Tarts, things that like flexible dieters are commonly known for. Keep those out for a little bit. You know, get yourself back to a higher caloric intake. Like we're going to the ocean this weekend. I'll easily be able to fit those things in now because I have way more calories to play with, but I've spent the last couple of weeks slowly bringing them up. Three weeks, two weeks? I'm not. Two. Two and a half, I think, because it was on a Wednesday. So it'll be two and a half this weekend. Um, again, my calories have gone up way quicker than I expected because my body responded quick. Yeah. So we increased my calories, uh, and I'm talking about as we record this, not as you're listening to this. Yeah. Um, we increased my calories, and my body responded really well by, like, oh, this is another thing I should probably add. I increased my training volume. So I was doing five days a week, and then I dropped it to, like, four days a week because I was starting to get fatigue. And the second we increased my calories, I bumped it to six days a week. So I instantly added two full days of training and I kept hitting my knee and was still doing three, three days of cardio. So people got to understand that I'm burning more calories in that cardio because I have more energy. I'm usually exceeding the step count by a little bit just naturally. And now I'm training two extra days a week. So I'm literally burning more calories through activity as well. Um, and that's another good way that I've seen clients be hyper responders to reverse dieting, you know? And so all this stuff works. Uh, going slow is totally fine. As long as you're in a place that you're not so shredded that you're in an unhealthy place or you have any uh, like disordered eating habits because of the diet. Yeah. You know, if that's the case, obviously, then you got to go fast and we shouldn't be meticulously tracking macros and measuring food. But um, that's a rare situation. Totally. So, I think this is a good segue into the next question. Um, so, uh, I don't know what, who it's by. It's anonymous, but oh. it says, how do you fight fatigue when you are in that death? deficit Mm. there's a lot i think there's so i always preface all of this with some fatigue you just will not fight i think something that a lot of people need to understand is that dieting is fatiguing yeah so if like if you have a a, i'm using you as an example because i don't know why i just thought of this but um Let's say you're you're buying shoes, you're buying Jordans, you buy a new pair of Jordans every other week. And you're just stocking up on Jordans. <laughs> and then you get like a pay cut or you buy a new house or you get a new car Got or it. your insurance gets increased, whatever it is, right? Yeah. Your budget for Jordans changes, Yeah. right? Now you're hurting a little bit. You can only get one pair of Jordans a month, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's fatigue. Yeah. There's, what do you do about that? Well, you either go make more money or you fucking deal with it. Yeah. So... That's how you deal with it. It's literally how you deal with it. Yeah. So, or you just go, well, shit, I guess I don't need Jordans every other week. So it's the same thing here, right? Like, unless you get to a point where you lose your menstrual cycle, because that's the only time you go, well, like, shit, I, I really need that menstrual cycle. Otherwise, you just go, well, shit, I'm, I'm not going to have as much energy for a little bit. Yeah. You got to kind of deal with it. There's certain things that you just deal with. It's part of fatigue. That might have been a shitty analogy, but the point is, is like, you have this energy flux budget, and at a certain point, you will experience fatigue, and it's just part of it. You know, I think you should embrace it because to me, I, I remember points where I was like, damn, I'm hungry. And it was like, this shit's working. You know, and I tried to reframe my brain because it's like, the only reason I'm hungry is because I'm in a deficit. And if I'm in a deficit and I feel that deficit, it means I'm definitely in a deficit. I'm not just like spinning my wheels here. Yeah. This is working and I'm getting leaner. Um, and there was, I, I, the, the worst day for me, I remember, was that uh, 
I don't remember what I said or I sighed or something. Like, and she, it was like a depressing moment. We were driving, and she just goes, what? I was like, I was hungry. I literally said that, and she literally was like, oh, my God. That's the first time I felt bad for you this whole time. Like, <laughs> And I literally looked, and I was like, I'm doing it to myself. Don't worry about it. But I just remember being like, oh, fuck. Like, this sucks. And it was at the tail end. But I'm doing it to myself. And I remember being like, this will be worth it because I'm accomplishing my goals. Now I'm eating more food. I'm like the period of time's over. I was yeah. hungry for a day, like big fucking deal. Um, so I'm some, sure you were hungry for more than a day. I was, but I'm just saying. Like you it, voiced it, yeah. It came and went, you know yeah. what I mean? So sometimes you just got to deal with that and just know that that's part of it and just reframe your brain around it. Um, otherwise, more sleep uh, is going to be key. Less training volume is going to be key. Um, I don't think you everybody needs a lower training volume, but some people will get to a point where you have to. I know for me, like I said, I went from six to five to four days a week because there's just, but when I started feeling like it was getting tough to train all those days, I just cut a day because I know I can maintain muscle easy without training five, six days a week, cut them. Um, don't do high intensity cardio, do low intensity, focus on neat, um, more cruciferous vegetables because hunger is actually a big signal for fatigue. Um, when you feel hungry, you feel more tired and feel more fatigued. If you don't feel hungry, you don't feel as tired or fatigued. It's like a psychological yeah. aspect of hunger satiation. So eat foods that are more fibrous, more filling. Um, sometimes that's why actually high carbs work better for some people. And sometimes that's why high fat carb diets work better for people. Um, there's really no study to say conclusively which one is more satiating, but a lot of people claim that fats are more satiating for them, which would make sense because they're more calorically dense, but at the same time, they're smaller, they're denser. Whereas carbohydrates, if you, like, I remember I had uh, not even 100 calories worth of strawberries, and it was like a solid fucking bowl. And I was thinking about it, I'm like, this is why I would rather have more carbs, because I could have no toast right now and have like a, a salad bowl of strawberries, and it wouldn't be that many carbs. You know what I mean? But that seems like a lot of food. So psychologically... I'm going to feel more energetic. I'm going to feel more satiated. And they've yeah. done this with zero calorie artificial food and trick people into like feeling like they have. Interesting. Know, food. Um, placebo. Um, you knew it was coming. Yeah. Um, but like that, those are the biggest things, you know, like it's really just basic recovery shit. Yeah. Get your sleep, manage your stress, lower training volume if you need to eat voluminous food, drink plenty of water. Change your mindset. Yeah. Um, change your mindset. Uh, whether that's through meditation or journaling or just trying to reframe. Uh, I would also say, uh, um, lost my train of thought. Oh, supplements. I was going to say, uh, there's certain supplements that will help too. Like, uh, a lot of people are deficient in magnesium, get magnesium. Creatine obviously helps with recovery. Um, caffeine is going to help push you through. I increased my caffeine consumption, believe it or not. I can do that. Um, it was a lot, totally. <laughs> but caffeine consumption throughout the, the day to keep you moving. Um, there's certain things that are just going to help. So, yeah, yeah. totally. Energy. All right, guys, that is the uh, last question we have for you guys today. As always, check out tailoredcoachingmethod.com for all the free stuff we have, guys. You can go to tailoredcoachingmethod.com slash guides for all of our free downloads, slash videos to check out the latest and top YouTube videos that we are dropping, slash blog for all the free articles, and slash online-coaching if you want to apply for coaching and work one-on-one with us. As always, we appreciate you guys for listening, and we'll catch you next time.